Open your Bible to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at some lessons from Gethsemane and make some application for us. We've been there on our tours. Every tour we go that we take to the Holy Land, we go to this place, the Nazareth village. And this young man and others like him have taken us on a tour. And it's fascinating the things that you learn there. One of the most amazing is as you go into that olive press and you begin to see the process that takes place uh, with these olives and how that they, they were crushed there. So it's, it's interesting. I want you to look in Matthew 26. We'll begin reading in verse number 36, if you will. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Those, that was James and John. So the inner circle was Peter, James, and John. You remember when they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he brought the disciples up and then he took them further. So it's Peter, James, and John, that inner circle that, that Jesus is teaching some specific things to in a different way even than the others. And it says there, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, verse 37, verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Let me just stop and say this. The cup is not death. Because he came to die. The purpose in him, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. How would he do that? By the giving of his life for our sins. So he's not cowering from death. He came to die. What is the cup? It's the sins of mankind. Past, present, and future. In the olive press in Gethsemane, they were all pressed together and placed upon him. And so great was the pressure that he sweat, the Bible says, as it were, great drops of blood. Verse 40, And he cometh to the disciples, and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed unto the hand of sin, in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Father, help us, I pray, and open our hearts and our minds, open our eyes to the things that we should see from your word, and speak to our hearts as only you can. May the Holy Spirit deal deeply within us, and we'll thank you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen. When we return from our Holy Land trips, and people send me comments, or sometimes when we stand around uh, in the final days and begin to talk about getting back home and the impact that these trips take 
make in the lives of people. Perhaps the thing that is mentioned the most, besides perhaps the empty tomb, is the Garden of Gethsemane. If you could face the Garden of Gethsemane in the public place, there's, there's a gate that leads in and there's a mass of people surrounding large olive trees that are there. There's a shrine church built over the rock, supposedly where Jesus knelt, and it's just another one of the many uh, buildings built by Antonio Bellucci that add nothing but ornate religion to a very sacred place. And so people are crawling on their knees and making penance and somehow finding some form of religious um, relief in those places. Across the street directly, there's a, there's a locked gate and stone walls surrounding another portion of the garden. We're able to gain entrance into that, our groups do, and we go into that place and they let us in and shut the gate behind us. I do no lecturing there. I don't talk about what took place there necessarily. We just divide up and I give the people time, 45 minutes or so, as couples or individuals, singles, however, whatever, however they came. And they find themselves a place in the Garden of Gethsemane and they pray. They pray together. They pray by themselves. And it's an unusual place because it strangely seems shut off from the rest of the hustle and bustle. Even people that have been there said, you know what, it's an amazing thing. When we walked into that place, it was as though you could not hear. The noise was there, but it doesn't register. There's a piece in that part of the garden that is, is tangible. And though there's no Bible study really conducted there, there is a, a speaking and a moving of the Spirit of God in the hearts of the people there that's absolutely immeasurable. It's something that they carry with them back home. It's not a trinket, it's not a souvenir, it's not a poster of the Mount of Olives that you can buy on the Mount for a dollar a poster. Okay. It's none of that kind of stuff. It is, it is an experience that you bring back with you, a sacred experience that you never forget for the rest of your life. Now what I want to do today, if we could, in this second to the last, Lord willing, message in my series, I want us to, I want us to draw some lessons from Gethsemane. I want to take a step back, you and I just back up and look at the scriptures that we've read, and I want us to make some notes of some things there that, 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 that will help us from, from what took place that night in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. The first thing I want to note from this that I think is primary for us as Christians to realize is point number one would be this, that he carried the weight of our sins. I don't know how, I don't know how you can read this in an emotionless manner. I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how you can look at the scripture and then come away with sort of a ho-hum attitude about what took place here. He goes in to the depths of the garden there and he says to his disciples, he says to them, I'm heavy. My heart is heavy. I'm sorrowful even unto death. I feel like I'm going to die. Here is God 
clothed in human flesh that is so overwhelmed with the event that awaits him, the taking upon his holy self the sins of the entire world, everything that was done from Adam and Eve all the way to the present time, all the sins that would take place. Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, every wicked, vile sin that the world has ever known was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That name, Gethsemane, means olive press. And in itself, it indicates why Jesus went unto that, the Mount Olivet, or the Mount of Olives there, to pray and to agonize in a grove of olive trees. And, and, and as the man said, there's a threefold process in extracting the oil. They, they press that oil, and the first pressing released the purest oil. And from that, they would collect the oil that would be sent to the temple and to the priest to be used for anointing and for healing purposes. Doesn't the Bible say in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And so in, in the pressing, in the crushing weight of the sins of the world upon Jesus, as he is pressed there, we are reminded of the fact that it is for our healing and for, for the, the, uh, the wholeness that he brings into our life. The second press would extract oil that would be used for cooking and consumption. He is our nourishment. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6, verse 35. The third and final press that took place there would apply the maximum weight that would drain the last drops of oil from the olives. And this would be used for fueling lamps and making soap and things like that that were for the convenience of the people there. Jesus is our light. He spake unto them in John chapter 8, verse number 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. And so it's meaningful. I want you to understand that Jesus didn't look and say, well, there's a hill. Let's go pray up there. No, no. He went to the Mount of Olives. He went to the place called the Olive Press. Get Shemi. That's where we're going. I'm going there to begin the crushing process that my life's blood would be given for the sins of the world. What a meaningful place. What a meaningful place that he sweat there as though it were great drops of blood. Now here's the significant thing. Listen to me carefully here today. Jesus didn't just take your sin, he became your sin. I want you to think about that. He, he became your sin. Every wicked act, every vile deed, Every perverted and contemptible thought, he became that for you. As he hung on Golgotha, naked before a sin-cursed world, in order that he, God in human flesh, might take away your sin debt. Now I want you to look at me and listen to me carefully. One of the things that you've got to realize, if you're going to grow forward for God, is that your sins can be found 
on the cross. Okay. If you're still carrying the burden of that sin, if you're still living as though you were what you were, even though now you're in Christ, if you are still carrying the weight of that upon you, then you're underestimating, you're underestimating the power of Calvary and the price that Jesus paid for you. You're carrying something that He carried for you. And you're basically saying what He did was not good enough. Now, I've still got to carry it. No, no, no. No, no. No, He carried it for you, and, and He nailed it to His cross, taking it out of the way. Stop carrying something that's not there. Okay? I called one of our young men forward. I'm not going to do that because they were very angry with me last time. If I, carried, if, I, and I, if I gave them a burden, and they shoulder the burden, and they're walking around like this, and then I come up and say, hey, give me the chair. Okay? Which Levi was desperately praying I would do the last time. But anyhow, and give me the chair. And I take the chair from them, and now I'm carrying the chair, and I look back, and they're walking around like this. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I'm carrying the chair. Why are you carrying the chair? I carried the chair. So, so why are you humped over like this? Well, because I can't get rid of the chair. No, the chair, you've already gotten rid of the chair. Listen, listen to me. I don't care what you did or who you were or what you were or where you were. Don't underestimate the blood of Jesus Christ in taking your sins from you and taking them to a cross. Your testimony may be, I once was, I once did, I was here, I was there, this was me. That may be your testimony, but don't ever boast in that. Boast in the fact that it's done and gone from you. That's why on Calvary, Jesus said, it is... Well, why don't we let it be finished? If it's finished, why don't we let it be finished? Start living in the past. And so, uh, and, and so Jesus here... Um, became our sin for us. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. You know, can, can I say this? Listen, this is just me, but there's something disturbing to me about a song that sings, I will weep no more for the cross that he bore. But I'll glory in the cross. Well, I do glory in the cross, but that doesn't mean I can't do both. When I, realized, when I realized the price that he paid for my sin and that my sins took him there, my, my, my weeping is, is weeping of gratitude and thankfulness and joy for undeserved mercy. Are you kidding me? He died for my sins? He took my sins? Do you realize that I'm going to spend all of eternity in heaven not because of my own goodness or not because of my own merit, but simply because of what Jesus did for me on a skull-shaped hill outside of Jerusalem. That's an amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's, that's grace. It's the grace of God. Amazing. Amazing grace. Second lesson I learned here is that prayer connects our heart with His. Prayer connects our heart with His. You, you really said to them, when he, when he took them into the garden, 
By the way, he had instituted the Lord's Supper in the preceding verses. Remember that? He, he had washed the disciples' feet. He, he, he instituted the Lord's Supper. And, and, and then we cross the, he crosses the Kidron and goes up the Mount of Olives. Peter, by the way, on that journey, denies that he'll ever deny him. Okay, here's Peter. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The rest of these guys, they may deny you, but you look at one guy that won't. And then all of them... I mean, what are they going to do? Sit back and say, yeah, Peter might be right. No, they all jumped in and chimed in and said, ah, we're not going to deny you either. So they all, they all denied their denial. And, and before it happened, not only did Peter curse and deny him, but all of the disciples fled, abandoned him, forsook him. So they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes eight of them and places them on the outskirts of the garden as they enter. Then he leads that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, deeper into the garden and gives them an assignment. Here's the assignment. Pray with me an hour. Why the hour? Because that's how much time he had left. An hour isn't a magical number. Get away from that thought. We'll talk about that in a moment. So, so... Here, here he is, and, and, and he, he, he knows how much time he's got left because Judas at that moment was selling him out for 30 pieces of silver and was leading the men toward the garden where Jesus prayed oftentimes. Judas knew where to find him. And so they're making their journey toward Gethsemane and the Olive Garden and the press there. And, and uh, Jesus says to his men, could you pray with me an hour? And then he enters into the heart of Gethsemane. Okay. My soul is exceeding sorrow, even unto death. Tarry ye here, listen, and watch with me. Will you stay with me? Will you connect with me? My heart, my heart is exceedingly sorrow, even unto death. I want you to, I want you to know what I feel right now. I want, you, I want you to know how heavy I am right now. I, I want you to know what, what, what my, uh, the depths of, of, of my heart beat right now. Would you connect with my heart? Would you feel with me as much as you possibly could? He's trying to transfer his burden to them. Connect their heart with his heart. But his, his heart was greater than theirs, and their heart was so weak, too weak. And their discipline was too lax. They had the opportunity. I want you to think about this. In the quietness of that garden on that hill across from the eastern gate, they had the opportunity to pray with the Lord in the deepest place of His agony. The place of His deepest agony. Nothing on the journey to the cross is painted in such emotional colors as this scene was and they could have shared in the most intense and passionate scene that led to Golgotha, but they slept the time away. I wonder sometimes, listen, I wonder sometimes if we are so wrapped up in our own trouble and we have it, don't we? To some degree or another, some far greater than others. But you know what the Lord wants us to do? Listen carefully to me. God is asking us, will you connect with me? Will, will you connect with my heart? Well, where do you do that and how do you do that? 
I'm thankful for South Valley Baptist Church, and I love our Sunday mornings. I live for them, literally. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, I live for them. Even before I go home, my mind already is shifting to Sunday. A lot of times, if you come to my house late Sunday night, I'm already working for next Sunday, letting God begin to place things together. I, I, my entire week points. Everything I do flows in that direction. Except when I'm riding my Indian. But anyhow, a lot of times then I'm even trying, trying to be transparent. Now, um, but, but, you, but did you know this? There's a natural reserve, let me say it this way, there's a natural reserve amongst us even now. We're great friends, great church, we're a family of friends, but there's certain things you can't say right now. <laughs> you can't, there's things, there's things that you may need to get right that, that, that you can't audibly say. There's certain emotions that you can't expose. So you can connect with the heart of God to a degree, but the greatest place you'll ever do that is in a, is in a secret place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalms 91.1 is my life verse. I just want to tell you that, that we need to find the secret place so that our heart can connect with His heart. And it's in that quiet place where we can become totally transparent with a God that sees everything. It's when I can confess to Him my deepest thoughts and my greatest failures. I can talk to Him about my fears, my insecurities, my disappointments, my struggles. It's in that place. And so when God takes them into the garden, He says to them, could you, could you come? I want, to, I want to transfer to you. I want to give you my burden. I want you to feel my burden. And now we're able to do the same in transferring our burden to Him when we go to Him in prayer. But oftentimes, oftentimes, just like the disciples, our flesh is willing, but our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. Oftentimes, oftentimes we sleep rather than pray. And I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a literal sense. I mean that spiritually we're slumbering. We've never connected with the heart of God. In prayer, we do that. You know what will happen to you in prayer? God will change your heart. You become less critical, less cynical. When you connect with the heart of God, you'll see people in a different light. You'll find grace for others that you, that, that you would want for yourself, but are never willing to give to others. He'll change your attitude. He'll change the focus of your life. Listen to me. He, he, he wants your heart to connect to His heart. That's not done sitting on a church pew somewhere. God will speak to you, but I want to tell you what God is doing. God is calling us to a life of prayer so that in that secret garden, wherever it might be, it could be in a back closet somewhere. In the first house that Susie and I lived in as husband and wife after we'd gotten married, was on South Pickwick Street in, in uh, Springfield, Missouri. In that upstairs apartment, there was a 
there was a closet there. It was a low ceiling closet that was opened up. And I want to tell you, I found in the quietness of that place behind the shut door, I found my garden. And I prayed for us. And I prayed for provision, for food. I saw miracles. I saw God do things. And though my life was just in the developing stage as a Christian, I learned, I, I learned what it meant to come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. God wants you to have that kind of a place because he, he knows that prayer connects our heart with His. Let me give you the third lesson here, and that is simply this, that desire, desire is the first ingredient of prayer. Desire, okay? Three times, three times Jesus came to them and said, would you pray with me? Three times they couldn't muster the will to do so. You know why? Because they lacked the desire. It's not what they wanted. They didn't really have a heart They didn't really have a heart for prayer. They lacked desire. Or maybe their desire for sleep is just simply greater than their desire to pray. Desire is the first ingredient. Listen carefully to me. Listen, let me tell you what God will do. This is what God will do. God will will work within this crowd here, in this congregation, this assembly. God will work in your heart, and He will place within you a desire to pray. And suddenly you'll feel something Maybe that you haven't felt in a long time, or perhaps you've never felt before, and you will think to yourself, I, that, that's, that's it. That's what I want. I want that kind of intimate relation with Jesus. I want a Garden of Gethsemane relation with Jesus. I want my heart and His heart to connect, and God will place that desire in you. Now, wait a minute. What you do with that desire now is up to you. You're not going to get that desire... Well, I started to say watching a football game, but when I watch the dogs play, sometimes I really pray. Sometimes I have a great desire to pray, like yesterday. But anyhow, you, 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 don't, you don't get that. You don't get that just out in the world. God gives you the desire to pray. It's contrary to your flesh. It's contrary to everything that we know, you see. There was a time they had that desire. You remember in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they came to Jesus, and, and it, it, the Bible says it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Isn't it interesting? They never said, Lord, would you teach us how to do miracles? We'd, we'd, we'd really like to do, we've seen some miracles. We'd like to do miracles. Lord, would you teach us how to preach? Would you teach us how to teach? Would you make us better preachers? It's not what they said. They said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Something about his prayer life created in them a desire. So there was a time that they had a desire to really pray. Now they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press. Things are hot, things are heavy. Things are, are, are spiraling downward as far as the world is concerned. But now they sleep. Maybe you once had a passion to pray. Maybe, maybe now you're spending more time complaining about how things are than going to the one that can change things to the way they should be. Can I tell you that I've done that? You know why? I'm, the, the reason why is because that's easier. 
it's easier for my flesh to complain than it is for me to pray. Let, let me give you something by E.M. Bounds. If you've ever read a book called The Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds, it's a classic book. E.M. Bounds said this, Prayer breaks all bars, dissolves all chains, opens all prisons, widens all straits by which God's saints have ever been held. He also said, Prayer is not learned in a classroom but in the closet. He also said, Prayer succeeds when all else fails. John Rice used to say, All of our failures are prayer failures. We fail to pray. We fail to connect. You know what my prayer is for you? And I, I would ask that your prayer would be for me is that God would give us a burning desire to pray. Because it's in prayer that our hearts connect with God's and thereby we become more godly in our walk with Him. The fourth lesson I learned is this. Not only is, de is desire the first ingredient in prayer, but fourthly, discipline is the second ingredient in prayer. Now, wouldn't it, wouldn't, it be great, it, wouldn't it be great if we just all craved time alone with God? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, don't lie, okay? In fact, just don't raise your hand. But, but, but how many of you could honestly say, I get up in the morning and I say, hallelujah. Woo, I'm going to read my Bible today. No, you don't do it, neither do I. Okay. You know what I do when I get up in the morning? I make myself read my Bible. You're a pastor. Yep, it's me. Why? My flesh doesn't like it. You know what my flesh wants to do? Watch the History Channel. Okay, watch story TV, okay, and watch World War II, or whatever war they're showing. If it's a war, I'm in, okay. I want to I watch Attila the Hun, all right, Genghis Khan, Sweep Across. I want to I watch all those things that they show there. It's fascinating stuff. But you know what? Listen to me. None of that means anything to me if I can't spend time alone with God. And there are times that I have a craving that is at the height the, the, uh, that I don't have at other times. And then there are times I get up and my Bible's sitting there closed next to my, uh, my recliner and I look at my Bible and, and I look at the control to the TV and I look at the TV and I look at my Bible and I have to make myself open my Bible. And there are times I don't want to pray. The times I'm thankful for what I learned as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep him. I should die before I wake or pray the Lord my soul today. Man, I prayed today. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for us. Food by his hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Let's eat. That was Nathan's favorite prayer when he was a child. You know. No, no. You, you know what? The flesh doesn't like. We have a desire but what has to be added to the desire is a discipline of where I'm going, to, I'm going to pray. Lincoln said this. Lincoln said, I've often been driven to my knees by the overwhelming reality that I had no place else to go. More often than not, we pray because we have to. Mature Christianity comes when, when, when Pastor Dean's not praying because there's something really pressing Maturity comes when we pray and there's nothing super pressing. We pray because we're supposed to pray. 
The problem with us in prayer is that our flesh doesn't crave spiritual things. Just like these disciples, our, our prayer is, our, our, flesh is, our flesh is weak, you see. We never enjoy the delight of prayer until we first discipline ourselves and take the desire that God gives us and make something out of it. Let me give you three quick things real quick, and, and then we'll try to sweep through this. This is very important. First of all, set a daily prayer schedule if possible. It may be morning. It may be evening. It may be when you lay the kids down for a nap. Maybe when you're out on your delivery for your job. Please don't close your eyes uh, while you drive. But a schedule just simply helps you become consistent. Well, I'm going to pray. Well, that's great. When? Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to pray. Okay, but when are you going to pray? If you leave it, here's what happens. At the end of the day, you say, oh, man, alive. My day was so crowded. Now, if you, do, if you schedule the end of the day, that's okay. Because that's the time you found is most comfortable for you. But if you just throw it out there and say, well, I'll pray today, and you never get to it until it's the end, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going you're gonna to fail. Now, let me say this to you real quick. You say, well, preacher, I fell asleep while praying. That's good. It's good? Yeah. I do almost every night. Well, don't you feel guilty? No. The last person I'm talking to is Jesus. And I'll go to sleep saying, Lord Jesus, please help. He knows exactly who I'm talking about. And he's the last person I talk to. Don't... Don't, let's don't get legalistic with this thing. Number two, develop a prayer list. One of our problems is we're not organized in our prayer life. And by the way, Monday could be family day where you pray for family. And Tuesday could be sickness day. You pray for people with cancer and people that are sick. Wednesday could be missionary day. Okay. Um, Thursday could be Chad day. The entire day. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, listen, do, do what seems most effective for you. Figure it out. Do your, do your own schedule. A schedule helps us uh, to remain uh, con consistent. A, a prayer list helps us to remain organized, okay? And your prayer list will help keep you focused. Now, here's number three. Listen carefully. This is so important, I think. Put the clock away. You, don't, you, you know what our problem is? We we gotta we gotta do something that gives us a sense of achievement. Prayer isn't about achievement. Prayer is about the heart of God. Well, I pray thirty minutes every day. Really? Well, that's good. That's that's no more important, by the way, than somebody that plays fifteen minutes a day. It's no less than somebody that prays forty-five minutes a day. I'm not talking about a little little talk with Jesus, where Lord Jesus, I'm here, you're there, thank you. I'm talking. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about forget how long you pray and just pray. Stop with the timer. Stop feeling like you've got to do that. He, Jesus never mentioned a time frame when he taught him the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He talked about an hour in prayer in the garden because that's all he had. And it shows the intensity of what he was suffering. Don't set a time where if you fall short, you've failed. I had a guy come up to me one time after I preached a message in Georgia. And he's a young guy that came up to me, and just a little weird look on his face, one of his eyes, you know, he's looking at me, he said, Preacher? I said, yes. He said, God told me to ask you, how long do you pray every day? I said, God told you to do that? He said, yeah. I said, well, God told me not to tell you. 
God must be arguing with himself. <laughs> well, why didn't I tell him? Because it's none of his business, number one. Number two, the only reason I would tell him would be to brag on myself. Few people pray six hours a day. Anyhow, let's get, I, I should have done. No, I, it, don't measure yourself by me. Don't, don't, don't set a time frame. I'm just simply saying, by the way, some of your days, your prayers will be watered with your own tears. Other days, you'll just get through the prayer and say, I prayed today. Just, just pray until you're through praying, until you're done. And God will let you know that. The third ingredient, point number five, the third ingredient in prayer is determination. There was none in the garden. By the way, let me say this. You may think that one of the key ingredients to prayer is, is, is eloquence. Our Heavenly Father, God of Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and all the Boam boys. You know what I mean? That's, that's not prayer. You don't have to frame your words. Four score and seven years ago, Father. No, you don't, you don't have to do a Gettysburg Address prayer. You're not going to be eloquent. Just talk to God. That's what prayer is all about. You see, so we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to articulate those things at all. In Luke chapter 11, verse uh, uh, 8 through 10, Jesus talked about the guy that went to get bread. Remember that guy? And he knocked on the door and said, I got people visiting me. Could you give me some bread? I got to feed them. And he said, leave me alone. It's late. No, 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 please. Look, dude, you don't understand. I, I got friends. I got to have some food. Help me with food. And, and the guy said, leave me alone. It's late. Don't bother me. And, and the Bible said that, that he didn't get up and give him bread because he was a friend. He gave him bread because he wouldn't leave him alone. It's called importunity. You know what that means? Perseverance. He won't stop. And then Jesus said, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 9. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh it shall be opened. That word, that word ask and seek and, and knock, they're all in the linear sense. You know what that means, linear sense? Keep on keeping on. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. You're going to get one or three answers from God. No, which means no. You're going to get yes which means, okay, I'll do that, are you going to get not yet? I don't want to stop on the not yet. If God doesn't give me a no, I keep praying and keep praying. And we ought to keep praying and keep praying. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. Last of all is this. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Now remember who's in the garden. Don't forget this. There were 11 men there. And you might look at this as an individual failure of 11 men who failed to pray for an hour with Jesus, but it was also a corporate failure because they made up that first New Testament church. And so the reality of the matter is, we don't just fail as individuals. As we do that, we fail as a corporate body, a family of friends. Mark chapter 9, 
A man came with his son that was possessed by a demon, and he brought him to the disciples, and, and the disciples could do absolutely nothing. And, and so they, they, they went to Jesus privately, and they said, why, why couldn't we? Why, why couldn't we cast this demon out of this guy? And Jesus said, Mark chapter 9, verse 29, Jesus said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let me just throw this in. If you're diabetic, you've got to be careful and you've got to check and you've got to be wise with that. Everybody does. But, but can I help you with this? There are times there are going to be things that are so overwhelming in your life that you couple with your prayers fasting for God's power. And God's. What does that do? It clears your mind, it lifts the fog, and it focuses your heartbeat on what you really desire from God. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. How bad do you want it? That doesn't mean fasting 40 days. You can't do that. I can't do that. Let's not be unreal. But sometimes it's just setting aside things that we have. And if you, if you want to know more about that, I'll be glad to talk with you about that at some point. I'll, be, I'll sit down with you personally and talk with you about it. But, but the problem was they tried to help the boy in their own power, but it failed. Ian Bounds again said this, the church is looking for better methods, God's looking for better men. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come upon machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. And we live in a day and time where we spend all of our energy figuring out how we can attract a crowd, how we can entertain the crowd, how we can send the crowd home feeling that I've never experienced anything like that before when what we desperately need in our churches today is what they desperately needed years ago in our churches, what we'll always need in our churches, and that is the power of the Spirit of God working in the lives of people, and He does that through prayer. We'll never go further on our feet than we do on our knees. Five times the Bible, in the Bible, God's house is referred to as a house of prayer. Not a house of talent, not a house of wealth, not a house of prestige, but a house of prayer. A prayerless church is a powerless church. The way we begin to impact our community is on our knees. Luke chapter 10, there's a problem presented. And a solution given in one verse. Luke chapter 10 verse 2. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Boy, look at all the lost people. Look at the, look at the world that needs to be touched. Look at the community that needs to be reached. Look at all the people. Look at all the people that need to be reached. That's the problem. It's our problem today. And then he gives the answer. Look at the very next ver word, pray. Well, here's the problem. The world's going to hell. Look at the masses. Look at humanity. What do we do about this? Pray. Ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he had sent forth laborers into his harvest. You know what prayer does? Prayer brings God into our dilemma. Prayer opens the door and invites God. Listen to me. Prayer is the only method in which you and I can tap into the omnipotence of God. 
it's, it's like me taking a plug and walking over and hooking up to a power source. That's what prayer is. Prayer lets me tap into the omnipotent power source of my Heavenly Father. I want to tell you my burden. Okay. I'll tell you my burden. We, we, we've got our staff retreat coming up here in, a, in about a month. So, I'll tell you what my burden is. As I look toward 2024, here's my burden. My, my burden is this. I, 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 God's done some amazing things in almost 18 years at South Valley Baptist Church. But I do not want to stand before God and realize what he could have done had we really prayed. Jesus said, let me tell you what I want for South Valley Baptist Church. I want it to be a house of prayer. I want the people of South Valley Baptist Church to know how to get a hold of me in prayer. I want my heart and their heart to be connected by prayer. Now, I don't know how all that looks right now. All, all, I know, all I know is that in my own personal life with God, I have this overwhelming realization and sense of the fact that God's not so much interested in us becoming more polished. He's interested, and there's nothing wrong with polish. It's just that the focus is prayer, His power. His influence in this church, in your family, in my family, in my life, in your life. I hope God births that desire in you. Let's bow our heads, could we? Pray. exactly what God's saying to your heart right now. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'll be glad to take a Bible and show you how you can know you're saved. Don't leave here guessing or thinking or maybe or hoping. You can know. But the Bible is a know-so salvation. I know that I know that I know that I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Don't leave here without that. Come to Jesus. Let us take a Bible and show you how you can do that. Pray. Ask God for the desire to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have that desire to pray more, to connect with your heart more than we ever have. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. Make our church teach us, Lord, to be a house of prayer. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. 
Amen.